0: Well, people often say all the wrong things to us when we're hurting or grieving. Pastor
1: Ed Taylor reminds us Jesus can relate and understands your sorrow. You know, while somebody might say, get over it or grow up, I just think of Jesus coming alongside and saying, I understand. I know how you feel. I know that you feel that way. I know what it's like to hurt like that. And I've been there. I know what it's like. And I'm here for you. That's amazing love. That's pretty powerful. And that's how I see Jesus active in our lives. He's so wonderful because he knows what he's talking about. Not just because he has all knowledge, but because he lived it. He lived it. This is amazing grace.
0: This is amazing. As you go through pain and experience hurt, you may feel like nobody can relate. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus can relate, and in more ways than you might realize. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll be comforted by this reality as we return to John chapter 10. Pastor Ed Taylor is spotlighting a statement given by Jesus, I and the Father are one. As we learned last time, Jesus is making it clear that he is God. But he's also teaching us that he became a man. And that's where we begin today's teaching.
1: If you like to talk to people about, there's a fancy theological word that I'll give to you so you just can know it if you ever hear it. Or, you know, if you want to sound like, you know, be impressed somebody with your theological knowledge, you can use this word. It's ontological. O-N-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L. Ontological. It's a fancy word. For Bible students to describe the equality in nature, the equality in nature, that the Trinity is ontologically equal and yet distinct persons. It's the same word we would use to describe the the ontological equality of men and women before the Lord. Now you realize that men and women, you realize we are different. You guys realize that? In more than one way. Anatomically, mentally, emotionally, we are different, unique people. Men, and despite what our culture says, men are men and women are women. I mean, our culture is going crazy. You know that, right? It's just going crazy. I saw on my Twitter feed the other day, uh, the the University of California has just like posted a sign that says, you know, you go ahead. We're not going to have men and women bathrooms anymore. You just go ahead I don't even know why I got into this first service. I don't know why I'm doing it now. It's not, we're talking about Jesus, but like you can just go to whatever bathroom you want to go to. Like, are you crazy? I don't, don't go into my daughter's bathroom. You can't go in there. You're a man. I don't care how you dress or what you feel. Men's bathrooms are for men and women's bathrooms are for women. Um, I think Jesus would have went to the men's restroom because he was a man. Because Jesus became a man. And no matter what our culture does, we've got to navigate with the gospel of Jesus Christ in very difficult culture. It's one of the reasons why I think pure rebellion will be really good for you and your family because we've got a different culture, guys. It's very different. It is not what we grew up with. It's not anywhere near. It's different. It's darker as the coming of the Lord is nearer and nearer. It's getting darker and darker. The world is more confused. The world is pressing in trying to make, the, make uh, good being uh, called evil and evil being called good. And we need to be very, very careful. Jesus became a man. He wasn't a man of the flesh like you and I with simple impulses, but rather he was sinless and resisted every human temptation. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in, to help in time of need. So who is Jesus? The question's been asked then and today and still as people push him away, things get crazy. A little boy, frightened by a, a real scary thunderous lightning storm, called out to his daddy one night and said, Daddy, daddy, come, I'm scared. And the dad went back, you know, not wanting to get up. Son, God loves you. He'll take care of you. And so the son responds, I know, Dad. I know that God loves me. But right now, I want somebody with skin on, you know. <laughs> For all intents and purposes to describe Jesus, he is God with skin on and what how grateful we are that he was sent to us you know he's fully god and fully human he had two natures that coexisted we see that over and over again we've looked at some of the portions of his deity but you know on more than one occasion he was thirsty like in john chapter 19 verse 28 in john chapter 12 verse 27 jesus was troubled in john chapter 4 verse 6 he was weary in Matthew chapter 4 verse 2 he was hungry as well as in that same section he was tempted of the devil spiritual warfare led into the wilderness to be tempted just like you and me in Matthew chapter 8 verse 24 Jesus got tired I mean there's an occasion where he got so tired that he went into the boat in the midst of a storm and went to sleep he was tired he was fully human And on one occasion, you know, sometimes you think, man, I get angry too much, and I get upset about things way too much, and you go, I wonder if Jesus is anything like me. Well, you know what? The Bible records for us a time when Jesus was angry, but without sin. And so he knows the emotion of anger and thirst, and he knows he can relate to us. He's not some distant deity barking orders at us. Jesus became, God became one of us to save us. And so with our remaining time, let's go to number three. This all speaks to us, Jesus relates to us. I, my father, one, is reminding us, number one, he is God. Number two, God became man. And number three, God became man to relate with us. He knows us. He relates to us. In just a few weeks, we're going to be in John chapter 11. For those of you that have read ahead, you know John chapter 11 is a very emotionally difficult chapter to go through, especially if you've lost a loved one. Because in chapter 11, you have these two sisters that have a very sick brother, and it's no sickness like the flu or something that might go away. His sickness is unto death. He's going to die of this sickness. So what do they do? They do what comes natural. They call for Jesus. We need your help. We know you can help. We know you can heal our brother. And of course, as the story unfolds, we find that Jesus delayed His coming on purpose. We'll get into all that in more depth. But in that delay, you see, I even have them already. I already did the Bible study, so I already know. I titled that Bible study "God's Delays Are Not His Denials." I already titled it. But you know what? This ain't about a title of a Bible study or something to put on a podcast. These were real life people experiencing real life pain, and in the delay of Jesus, their brother died. He delayed so long that he died, they buried him right away, and they had already gone through the three days of the customary Hebrew mourning period and a day after where the Bible even describes that he's been in the tomb long enough where the smell of his decaying body is going to come out. I mean, this is real stuff here in the Bible. And it's a very difficult chapter. It's very hard. And when Jesus arrives on the scene to the tomb... He arrives where the Bible says he sees people weeping and it says that he was both indignant and then in John chapter 11, verse 35, it is the shortest verse of the Bible in the English translations because I had a teacher and we were talking about a little bit. It might have been Hebrew or Greek. I don't recall now, but there, there is a shorter verse in the Bible in the original language by the amount of letters, but we don't need to go there. For now, in John chapter 11, verse 35, it says that Jesus wept. Our Jesus, God in human flesh, he wept. He cried. That's not just, that that word doesn't just refer to a couple tears trickling down a cheek or eyes welling up with water. It has the idea in the original language of deep emotional expression of sadness. It's deep. And so the question has come, you know, why did he cry? Why did he cry? Was it because his friend was dead? I'm sure that was part of it. I'm sure of it. Did he weep, weep because of the mourning? You know, we, off, we also know that during, in the Hebrew, with the Hebrews, uh, they would often hire mourners to come and mourn the loss of a family member. But listen, not everybody mourning was hired. You know, the family that was crying, the family that was weeping, they did it for free. It came naturally. Was he weeping with the pain of the devastation of death? And all the sorrow and sadness it brought to once happy family. I mean, I know that he wept because he saw that death was never a part of God's plan. That because sin entered the world, things like illness and aging and death take place and cause great pain and sorrow to those that have lost loved ones. Especially those very close, a brother, a parent, a grandparent, a son, a daughter. Very painful. But I want to offer you something else to consider. And you can chew on it till we get to chapter 11 in our study. But maybe Jesus wept because poor Lazarus was gonna have to come back to earth again. <laughs> I mean, Jesus knows what heaven's like. He knows what a glorious time it is, and through the whole process of this miracle, that just part of his weeping is that Lazarus is gonna have to come back again. You know, the Bible says that it's appointed once for a man to die, and then the judgment, and that is the general rule. But you know, there are exceptions. Lazarus was one of them. He didn't die once; he died twice. And I know we don't get the heavenly scene, but can you imagine Lazarus there just enjoying everything and just, you know, talking to Solomon or whatever, whatever you do in heaven, just enjoying things. And then he hears, Lazarus, come forth. And, you know, maybe he says, I don't, I don't, Lazarus, maybe, he can't be talking to me. Is there another Lazarus here? I'm not going back. I don't and, and, you know, I, I know that that's kind of a, a thing that we go in our mind, but, you know, he did have to leave glory and come back to earth. And while his family was certainly happy, he would only live to die again. By the way, you Bible students, you know there's a a few exceptions to this dying once and then the judgment. It doesn't take away the reality that everyone's going to face the judgment of God. But you know there's a few exceptions, but there's one that's really cool. There's going to be a whole group of people that will not die at the rapture. An exception to that. So you're like, oh Lord, even so, come quickly. Let's just get it on, get it done with, and let's go. But until then... We're faithful till he comes. And so there are exceptions to that general rule. Jesus knew Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. He was in paradise in pure bliss. And perhaps he's thinking, poor Lazarus, he's going to have to come back to earth again. And he did. And there was great joy in that home. And he had to die twice. As if that wasn't bad enough. Just weeping over the horrible effects of death and what's happened to us as a result. He felt sorrow. I bring this up because I want you to know that Jesus does relate to you. He understands your sorrow, and he understands your pain, and he understands the the devastating consequences that come from your sin and other people's sin. It wasn't God's heart when he created the Garden of Eden. He understands what you're going through. In fact, the Bible says of him uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, he's despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the bitterest of grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, And when he went, he was despised, and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighted him down. Friend, it's not just in your sin, but in your sorrows. He felt your pain. He understands the temptations, not just the consequences of your sin, but in all that you feel. And he understands your sorrow, you see. If you haven't had to experience that yet, you'll see when it happens. And someone might come along and, and give you their advice. You know, everyone has advice in times of deep trial. God doesn't give you his, he doesn't give you advice. He gives you himself. He comes alongside of you. And you know, it's, it's important that we're very careful with those that are grieving and those that are hurting. It's very important. I, I don't know why I wrote down some of the hard things, but see, these are some of the things that I've heard in my own season. You know, get o- it's time to get over it. Or it's time to move on. Or even some harsher things, grow up or stop it or, you know, you don't need to cry anymore or whatever it might be. Let me just say to those of you that God is using to minister, especially to those in deep grief, don't tell someone that it's time to move on. Don't, just don't do that. Don't do that because in in a very real sense, you don't move on. You move forward. You take the next step. But you don't move on. Life is forever changed in a variety of pain not just grief. So just be careful, because sometimes we just say things like, you know how we all have opinions. You have opinions? Everybody have an opinion? You know what? We don't want to hear your opinions. (laughs) We want to hear the Word of God. What does God have to say? I have opinions, but I've learned over the years through big mistakes in my life. Like, I'm not going to give you my opinion unless you ask for it. If you don't ask for it, you're never going to (laughs) know. So what's your opinion on this? Well, are you really asking? Because I'm going to, yeah, I want to know. But otherwise, I want to give you the Word of God. My opinions don't matter. And by the way, over the years, my opinions change. But God's word never changes. And so I just want to make sure I'm stuck on that. And let me say this. If you're in pain right now, you're really going through it, and you know how people will come to you well-meaning, but what they say actually stings more than it helps. Let me, let me just help you with that, because I want to teach you not to take those things personal. Personal. Because if you start to take those things personal, you're going to become hardened and bitter and angry and upset. And that's not God's heart for you. He doesn't want you angry and bitter and all upset. So you've got to train yourself. When somebody comes to you and they come up and they just say something, you know, I think it's time for you to move on. God, the Lord told me it's time for you to move on. And all these types of things. you just got to look at them. And in your mind, you've got to say this. This person really cares for me, but they have no idea what they're talking about. All right, in your mind. And then with your mouth, you say, thank you very much. And you just go to the Lord in prayer. Because that's really it. You know how it is. Peter did it all the time. He didn't know what to say. When he said something, I mean, he said something once that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Don't try that on people, all right? <laughs> but, but there are times when we might say something that doesn't reflect the love of God. And if you're on the receiving end, just don't take it personal. Just learn to take things spiritual. You don't want to become angry and bitter about the pains in your life. You want the Lord to heal you. And just, there are times when people come with their opinions. That's just the way it is. It's okay. It's okay, just pointing back to the Lord. God will be your comforter. The Bible says that God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. He will reveal himself that way. And for other people, and especially if they're close, you might just come alongside of them and disciple them when you have enough strength to say, you know, last year you said something that was really hard for me to receive, and and so I've just been praying for you, and I just want to help you understand that that's not the right thing to tell someone. It's just not the right thing. It's just better that you would just tell me you're praying for me, or it's better that you just share a scripture with me. But your opinions, you know, and so here, in light of all this, you know, while somebody might say, get over it or grow up, I just think of Jesus coming alongside and saying, I understand, I know you how you feel, I know that you feel that way, I know what it's like to hurt like that, and I've been there, I know what it's like, and I'm here for you. That's amazing love. That's pretty powerful. And that's how I see Jesus active in our lives. He's so wonderful because he knows what he's talking about. Not just because he has all knowledge, but because he lived it. He lived it. He's breathed our air. He's lived our life. He's died our death and rose again. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it was necessary for Jesus in every respect to be like us, his brothers and sisters, so he could be our merciful, faithful high priest, and since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation, he's able to help us when we are being tempted. You see, he knows what it's like to go through what you're going through. He knows what it's like to go through what I'm going through. He knows what it's like to be at the end in the human realm. And he knows what it's like to have victory over our problems. Number four, as we head into communion, I should say. Not only is Jesus saying that he's God, and not only are we learning that he became man and that he can relate with us. And relate, I use that word on purpose because it speaks of relationship. Jesus didn't come to form a religion, he didn't come to form an allegiance to the church. He came to form an allegiance by relationship to him. So he can relate to us. And fourthly, Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save. God in human flesh, relating to mankind in every way without sin, came to earth on a mission, a mission to save. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. There is a special relationship with father and son. God gave that. Special relationship between mother and daughter. God gave that. Special relationships between a grandpa and his grandson or a grandma and her grandson or granddaughter. Very special relationships. God-given relationships. God-ordained relationships not to be removed or taken away. Those are gods, but let me tell you something. Of all the relationships that we enjoy and can enjoy on this earth, there is no greater relationship to enjoy one with the God who created you and sent his son to die for you. Everything matters when the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, God is knocking on the door of your heart, so many of you, asking to come in. He uses that himself as a picture. He uses that as a picture to come into your life. And I would ask you, have you asked Jesus into your life? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you submitted to the God who became flesh and dwelt among you? Laid his own life down for you, even when you didn't want it or didn't care? You know, salvation and relationship is something very special. And God uses it in a variety of ways. I had a sister come up on Wednesday night after service. She wanted to talk to me about how to do her uh, testimony so, you know, I just told her, you know, it's three parts, who you were, what God has done to bring you to himself, and then what God's doing now. And you want to develop, you know, take a piece of paper, fold it into thirds, and just write, don't write more than what you can fit. And you can write as small as you want, just don't write more than you can fit on that page. And then I think, and this is, I'll just share it with you just for the sake of your discipleship, when you ha- develop your, devo- your, your testimony, you got to develop different versions of it. So if you have two minutes, you need to do it in two minutes. Somebody that has two minutes, you don't want to spend 60 minutes explaining your whole life to them. You got two minutes, you better have a testimony you can share in two minutes. And if you have 10 minutes, you know, maybe up at the the pulpit here, you get five or 10 minutes. Develop a version you can share in five or 10 minutes. And then if you have coffee with somebody at dinner and you have 60 minutes, then you can give them the whole thing of what God's doing in your life. So we were talking about that. But you know what blew me away was part of her testimony. Because she shared a little bit with me. We had five minutes. She gave me a five-minute version. And what most ministered to me is how she got saved. You know, because as a church, you know, there will be times, especially this service because it's live, and I'll I'll give the invitation like I am right now. Today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, in a few moments you're going to have that opportunity. And then I'll turn and I'll say, you guys listening on the radio... You know, maybe you're crying right now. And have you heard that before? You know what I'm talking about? So I'm talking directly to people outside of this room, on television, on the radio, on the internet. We're, we have a relationship with people extended from this. From in our city, we're so grateful. Around the world, quite literally. And I'll say, you know, and there will be times where I just feel an impression. You know, if, if you're in tears right now, you just need to pull your car over and you just need to pray on the side of the road. Well, she said, you know what, Ed? That was me. I was weeping that God was working on her life from her bringing up as a Roman Catholic and what God's doing in her life through the series of life. And she said, I, was, I just tuned in the radio. I, I hit Grace FM and, you know, she, unfortunately she got my show. So she had to get my, my teaching and hear my voice. And that's who she kept listening to. And the Lord kept using the word in her life and then finally pulled over. She's like, oh, I'm pulling over. And there's a whole part of that. But I just say this, because that part of testimony and God working in your life and knowing that there are many people outside of this room that receive the gospel. Listen, you as a church, through your faithful giving of tithes and offerings. You know, you give to God through the life of this church. We as a church, as a leadership, have made a conscious decision to go into this realm of radio at great cost to the church. Millions of dollars it takes to buy a radio station. It's, it's quite an investment of God's resources. But let me tell you this. And for that, I'm thankful for you guys that give. I don't know how it's all going to work in heaven, but understand this. Her salvation goes to our account. It's not just for Ed. Like all of us that have ever given of our tithes and offerings to this church and all the ministry of this church, her life somehow, I don't know in heaven, there's going to be a little Grace FM section up there. And then, you know, Michael the archangel is going to walk us through our life history, and they're going to look over there. See those guys over there? Uh, God, God uses your church and the radio and you. Uh, to, and it's like, whoa, it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be huge. But let me just say this, just as a side note. All the investments you've made in the kingdom, and even for radio, all the dollars that have been invested in radio, which is debt-free, by the way. We don't owe anything on it. It's completely paid for. The whole network is paid for. All the equipment, everything's all paid for. So just think of it this, though. You go, well, wait a minute, you know, millions of dollars radio. Yeah, yeah, listen, listen. If it was just for her, it would have been worth it. Just for her. It would have been worth it. Because Jesus came to save you. And we know it's not worth We know it's not just her. We know that thousands upon thousands of people in our city, our little city, just this part where God has us, is being reached by the ministry through your life. Your life. When you go to work tomorrow. When you go home today. It's your life that God's using for his glory.
0: So Jesus came to save. He relates to us. He became a man. And he is God. Four important truths that are conveyed to us through the statement, I and the Father are one. We've been learning who Jesus is today on Abounding Grace. It's part of Pastor Ed Taylor's study of John's Gospel. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at aboundinggraceradio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too see if this sounds familiar. You have a stubborn habit. You've prayed about it, surrendered it to God, and yet you still can't seem to break free. It's about that time that discouragement can begin to set in. Well, today we'd like to recommend a helpful book authored by Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. In it, you'll find three essential ground rules you need to accept in order to change. Also, discover the secret to dismissing tempting thoughts. And Erwin Lutzer uncovers the roles of God, Satan, and your loved ones in your success or failure. Request a copy today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And here at Abounding Grace, we look to the Lord to provide for us. If he's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that will do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace.